welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We continue looking back at some of the uh, previous severe weather events. It's not only affected the Carolinas, in this, but the Southeast. And uh, this is the 10-year anniversary of the April 27, 2011 tornado outbreak, not only for the uh, Southeast, including Mississippi and Alabama, but there's also some tornadoes in Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina. So uh, we want to focus our attention right now on the Alabama aspect of that. And we have with us chief meteorologist from ABC 3340, James Spann. James, I uh, appreciate you uh, spending some time with us uh, as we kind of look back at this. Um, I, I, I think you categorize it as a generational tornado outbreak for the state of Alabama. Um, a very well forecasted event leading into it. Uh, take us behind the scenes as as you there at the station are getting not only uh, the viewers ready, but the, the reporters ready, the storm spotters ready. Uh, take us back to what it was like a couple of days leading into the event. Well, it was a well forecast event. And, you know, one thing about it, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. I, I didn't know. I mean, could it be? Yes. But odds of an event like that are always not that high. So I didn't know we were going to have 62 tornadoes that day. I didn't know that the death toll would be so high. But having said that, it, it was a Wednesday event and you could start to see it, you know, about five days out the Friday before the Wednesday, we started to mention it. And then after the weekend, we really hit it hard Monday and Tuesday with everything we had. And uh, I think people were prepped and I think people knew that it was coming. Uh, but despite that, you know, the, the only number that matters to me, and I'm a numbers guy, is 252, 252. That's the number of people that died that day. Uh, we had 251 names, and we had one infant that was delivered prematurely at six months. The infant did not have a name, and the infant didn't live. So 252, and that's just a reminder, guys, we got some work to do. Um, I think what we learned that day is that you know, what we do is not enough. We need some help. And we've been trying to get help for the last 10 years to make the process better. It was an interesting time, too, I believe, because that was when social media started coming into effect. And um, looking back at through some of the coverage, you had uh, the storm chasers out in the field. You uh, were getting some uh, reports via social media. I guess Twitter was about maybe, I don't know, five years old and Facebook had been around for a while. And uh, it was still kind of primitive that the, the, the you know, penetration of the public is not as high as it is now, but it was still very helpful. I think the most amazing thing to me looking back on that day was how we were able to get video back from the middle of nowhere. I mean, we had some pretty remarkable video of these big wedge tornadoes. I mean, literally in the middle of nowhere and cell service in 2011 is not as good as it is now in terms of coverage. Uh, but but with social media, yeah, I, I pushed out stuff on Twitter and, and Facebook while I was on the wall over there. But it's still like even today, the most important thing I do is television. But uh, it was great getting reports and pictures and video, not as much as we get today, but uh, that always helps. I mean, it's just crucial. I mean, you, you can't beat showing a, a live video of a tornado. In fact, that's one thing we learned uh, from social science is that. You know, when you show radar on television and we were standing out there April 27, 2011, I don't know, in the morning we were there for what, five or six hours. And in the second round, we were up there for eight, nine hours. You show radar. It doesn't mean much to people. I mean, all you weather dweebs on here, you know, you show a hook echo and a debris ball. The eyes roll in the back of your head and your underwear starts flapping up and down your legs. Everybody knows, man, this is awesome. But. To most people in the street, they don't know what that is. And even if you communicate that clearly, they still might not believe you. But by golly, if you show them a live video stream of this big tornado, 
they're going to dig a hole and they're going to get into a safe place. So we have to do a better job of getting cameras on these tornadoes. And it's problematic for us. You guys know this where you are. I mean, we, well, most of our tornadoes are rain wrapped. Most of them happen at night. We have hills, we have trees, but we do the best we can. But I thought on that day, it was pretty amazing how many tornadoes we did get on camera. You had multiple tornadoes at one time. Uh, how was that? I know you and I, I had some uh, meteorologists out in the field, another meteorologist in the studio helping you. What was it like uh, covering multiple tornadoes, strong tornadoes at that at the same time? There's no book or manual on how to do that. You, you, you don't learn that in college. You kind of learn it on the fly on that day, which is what we had to do. And, uh, you know, that that's one of the things I look back on. And then everybody's probably seen, you know, whether people that listen to the show here, they've probably seen some of that. History is going to judge us for what we did that day. And I tell Jason Simpson, Jason was the meteorologist with me in the studio. We bonded that day. If you go through a generational tornado event with another meteorologist in the same room, you will be bonded for life. And I've known Jason since he, since he was a kid. He interned with me. He's a really close friend. He's chief meteorologist at the station in Huntsville now. But, uh, you know, history is going to judge us, the two of us, for what we did that day. And I don't even know if what we did was right or wrong. Obviously, we did something wrong because 252 people died. That's inexcusable for anybody in the weather enterprise, inexcusable for the public. These were precious people that died. Um you know, and, and I look back on it, I wonder, like the Tuscaloosa tornado, everybody talks about the Tuscaloosa tornado. Well, what about the Cordova tornado? You know, Tuscaloosa is a population center here. There's a big college there, University of Alabama, and everybody knows about that. And everybody knows what happened. It was a horrible tragedy. I'm not trying to lessen the magnitude of that. But what about the same EF4 that was down at the same time in Cordova in Walker County, where 2000 people live at that many? Uh, nobody talks about that. And, and did we focus too much on the Tuscaloosa tornado because we had that thing on camera and not focus enough on the Cordova tornado? I think about that a lot. And, and, and even in that case, we had two others down at the same time. And you just try and bounce back and forth between these things as best you can. And I try and give equal time. And I firmly believe, firmly believe that television meteorologists discriminate against people that live in rural areas. And that really makes me mad because I am I am from the guys. I'm a. I'm from rural South Alabama. I, I'm from Greenville, Alabama. You guys ever seen Forrest Gump? Where, you know, where's Forrest Gump from? Greenville, Alabama. Uh, the guy that wrote that book, I know him. He passed away recently, Winston Groom. He patterned Greenville after Greenville, this little town where I, I came from. And, you know, if it's in a big market, a you know, part of the city, the metro will be on television live, local, late breaking, saving lives, the weather authority. But the minute it goes out into a rural area where maybe there's one meter in the whole county in the television ratings world, you go back to freak of the week or whatever it is on television, which is absolute insanity. What you're saying, people that live out in the country, their lives don't matter. And I'm not going to play that game. And the day they ever tell me to stop, I'll just go somewhere else where I can do that. But they've always supported me here. But I, I wonder if I didn't serve the people in rural areas enough with that. And I regret that uh, I can't go back and change it. I can't go back and fix it, but it, it was horrible dealing with multiple strong, violent tornadoes down at the same stinking time. The easiest tornado of the day was the Coleman tornado. That was the first one of the afternoon. Uh, it was an EF four. We had no other tornado at the time. We had it on camera. I didn't have to bounce back and forth between multiple storms and we stayed with it and it worked. Nobody died in that tornado. 20,000 people live in Coleman. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I did. I don't think I did it right, but I, I did the best I could do under the circumstances. I was actually at in Coleman filming the Coleman tornado when that occurred. 
Um, and, and I was live streaming it as well at that time to Chaser TV, which was the big Storm Chaser streaming platform back in the day. One of the things that was crazy is the communications actually kind of went down, um, cell communications and pretty much everything else. And people were kind of distraught and, and didn't know where to turn to to get their information from. Um, that was one of the biggest things that stuck out to me that day was how communications failed at, at the very end of, of everything and, and kind of in the middle of the outbreak. So can you talk to us a little bit about in a position of trying to communicate to the public how that was affected? You know, I think one thing people forgot about, too, that day, we had a morning round of storms. It was basically a QLCS and, you know, some pinhead named a squall line, a QLCS a long time. I, I, I call them a squall line, you know, quasi linear convective system, whatever. It was linear. And we had a few embedded tornadoes and there was widespread wind damage. And that morning we had a quarter of a million people with no power before the big events started and five people died in the morning storms that that in itself was a tragedy and so we had a problem going into the afternoon with so many people without power you had a lot of cell sites down you had a lot of infrastructure damage and our tv station we had a lot of damage we had cameras down we had uh, microwave paths that were down we were crippled i mean all these engineers we had a little break between the morning round and the afternoon round and we got off the air for a little bit after the morning round. All these engineers, they came in there telling me everything that wasn't working. This doesn't work. And this is down. This is not working right now. And I finally said, guys, stop. I need to know what is working because we've got to get through the afternoon and prioritize how we're going to repair what we can in the next two hours. But, and they did a great job of getting things back, including that Coleman camera. That's one of the ones that went down. But, yeah, there was clearly infrastructure problems with communication that afternoon. Uh, I, I think the one thing we learned is that some people have forgotten that good old radio and television is free. It is over the air. It has nothing to do with a cell network and it's pretty darn reliable. And we often just blow past that these days. You know, I'm going to watch it on my phone on, on YouTube TV, or I'm going to watch it on, you know, what, whatever on a streaming platform. But what happens when all the cell sites go down? We're still on the air. You know, these big five million watt blowtorch transmitters we have, not that many people watch them over the air now. But I think we have to remind people that with a you know crappy five dollar antenna from Walmart, you can pick up 60 channels and you need to have that in your toolkit. It's your home in terms of severe weather. So I think that's the one thing we need to do. And goodness, local radio, you know, people have forgotten about it. You know, everybody streams you know, their music on their phone. But they forget that we've got these local radio stations that are 100,000 watt blowtorch FMs and AMs, and they will simulcast our coverage. And they provided a lifeline that day. And I, I got to give a shout out to the, the all those radio stations that just simulcast our coverage. If you listen to all those videos, those YouTube videos about like Tuscaloosa and these places, you could hear my voice. That was over the radio. So I think that's a thing we need to remind people of today is that TV is still free. It is still over the air and you don't need a cell network to watch it. James, the thing I wanted to ask you is what has changed uh, over the years since uh, April 27th of 2011? And how do you do things differently today when you're on and involved in a situation like what happened back on March 17th of this year compared to the way you handled uh, April of 2011? Well, here's the deal. After after the event, I didn't talk about it for six months. I had nothing to say. And people that know me, that's an anomaly. I mean, I'm a bag of hot air and I've always got something to say. In fact, the National Weather Association annual meeting was here in Birmingham that year. No, you know, usually James, they get me up there just to wave my hands and I talk loud and I say something, you know, this outrageous. And 
I, I had I didn't speak. I had nothing to say, nothing. And everybody just couldn't believe it. But I, I needed to go through the phases of, of, of grief. These people died on my watch and I'm in the process of trying to memorize every name. I'm not there yet. I was hoping to be there in 10 years. 251 names. They're stories. Let me tell you, so you want to get motivated? You do that when there's a tornado in your market. Learn their names. Talk with their families. Get to know them. It will be so motivating for you in future events. Um, but what I, the, the first, you know, after six months, I, I said, all right, let's roll up our sleeves and let's fix it. Something went wrong for every, so there were 62 tornadoes in one day in the state. And there was a darn good warning for every one of them. In some cases, the lead time was 40 minutes. And I, I thought the death toll that day should have been 30 and 222 people ought to be listening to this show right now. And uh, so I went to some of my friends in the social science world and said, help. And the first one that really reached out to me was Dr. Uh, Cloco McLean, Kim, uh, and so many others I've befriended. And I'm not going to start mentioning names because I'll leave somebody out. But they have been such a great help. But this is the bottom line. What we do is not enough. My background is physical science. My first major in college was electrical engineering. And I changed majors and finished in meteorology. I don't know anything about being some TV guy or radio guy or, or I don't know anything about it, really. I've just tried to watch people that I think are good and learn from them. I don't know anything about human behavior. And here we are trying to get people to do something, to take action. So they have so, so, so helped us. But here are the, the quickies on what we've learned, how things have changed. There's no doubt in my mind, the number one reason people died that day, the siren mentality. I don't know what it is about Americans, especially in tornado prone areas and these stinking sirens. It's like there's a love affair. They think they're sexy or something. I'll admit they sound cool. I mean, you know, you get a video, you know, some guy with a tornado down and that thing's wailing in the background. But you can't hear that thing in your house during a raging severe storm at three in the morning. And we've got to be better at, at teaching people. This ain't it. I mean, they serve a purpose. They reach a few people outdoors, but that's it. And weather radio penetration is embarrassingly low in tornado prone areas, Oklahoma, Alabama. And we've got to do a better job of getting a weather radio in every house. And again, that doesn't work on cell technology. You guys know that these big RF transmitters, the weather service has, and, you know, teach people about, you know, your phone's not enough. You got to have two ways because your phone's going to quit working and we might not work and your app might not work and the weather radio. But, but, but if you do all this stuff together, you'll get the warning. But that's the main thing, the siren mentality. And the number two reason people died, the lack of helmet use. Um, it's not that hard, guys. It's not. Uh, most people that die in tornadoes. And let me just say this. I dabble in healthcare. I call it my hobby. Uh, for 15 years, I have been the chairman of the board of a really large tertiary care hospital here. I've just been interested in it. Um, and I fell in love with these people 15 years ago, and, and I've learned a lot by talking to ER docs, and they will tell you that most people that die in tornadoes, where do they die from? Blunt force trauma. From where? The skull and the neck region. And all you need is a $5 bicycle helmet from Walmart, and probably over 50 people would be alive today. So in our, it's messaging. It's messaging before the event. We've got an event Thursday. So I just messaged on television. What's the message? You know, have two ways of getting the warning and it's not a siren. And you're going to have a helmet in your safe place for everybody. And that's not just for kids. And a lot of people, well, it's nice for a kid. No, 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 no. It's for everybody. I mean, you put a helmet on me. It's not a good look. It's like, you know, lipstick on a hog, but it, it's going to keep me alive. Every life is precious. And so we, we've learned to message, you know, helmets. That's really, really, really important. 
And, you know, I could keep going, but one, one thing that we knew that we've screwed up on with the false alarm ratio was too high. It was over 80 in 2011. That's insane. Over 80% of tornado warnings were false alarms. We heard this in research all the time. I hear tornado warnings all the time and nothing ever happens. So the Weather Service in Birmingham went through a really comprehensive program going back to basic science. Kevin Laws is one of my heroes, the Sioux down here. Uh, they were issuing tornado warnings for you know high-based storms, high LCLs. Never produced a tornado here. Never. And they, they went back to the basic science and cut out all these bogus warnings in the forest down in the 30s now. And all these things have added up to where it's a lot better now. We, we had a, and I'll stop answering your question. I, I could talk all day on this, but we had an event last Wednesday, St. Patrick's Day. We had 25 tornadoes in one day in the state, 25 last Wednesday. Um, not one person was killed and not one single person was hurt. Let me tell you what. 10 years ago, it wouldn't be that way. So we've learned a lot. And I think the lessons learned have paid off. James, you hit on a couple of things I want to get your expertise on. Social science, overwarning. National Weather Service right now is undertaking their initiative to simplify some of their communications, but also kind of introduce tiers for what goes to WIA and how the public then gets triggered. In your experience, is that going to be enough, you think, to help reach people and get them to understand or beyond what's already scoped? Do we have more work that still needs to be done? I mean, look, it's not that hard. Here's the problem. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I'm guilty of sin here at this. But we go to these conferences and we listen to these research papers and we talk with the social scientists and we gather up in these conference rooms and, and we do what we think it's best for us. Who cares about us? That's not who we're serving. We're serving real people out here in the real world. You know what we need to do more often is go hang out. In the do I bet you guys have never been in a Dollar General. I bet you guys have never been in a Dollar General. That's where real people are. You, you want to know what real life is like? Go to a Dollar General. They're sweet people. They will talk to you. They will tell you things. You don't need a $100,000 grant to, to get this information. And you listen to them. And they'll tell you, is the false alarm ratio too high? What do you need on your phone for wireless emergency alerts? Do, do you need to have severe thunderstorm warnings on there? Do you need to have only tornado emergencies? So I think that's part of our problem is that we've disconnected from the people that we serve. And uh, all of this stuff, you know, and I do. I'm a big fan of HazSimp. We got to simplify this. I'll be honest with you guys. There's some messages the Weather Service sends. I don't even know what it means. I mean, what, you know, the, what, what is an aerial flood warning and a flash flood warning and a flood warning? I mean, it's bewildering to people, all this stuff. So a lot of this stuff has got to be simplified. And they're on the road to doing that. But as we look at the tr transformation, you know, in the warning process, um, you know, in the next 10 years, we have to be careful to be sure we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the people. Hey, James, this is Jordan. I sound, I sound cranky, don't I? I'm sorry. I sound <laughs> cranky tonight. Hey, now this, this is, this is an engaging conversation here. Um, I, um, given how generational the April 27th outbreak was, it seems like we're hearing a lot of the use of the term bust bust today when it comes to outbreaks that don't quite measure up to April 27th. Now, I know this is a pet peeve Twitter post on this just the other day, because some people were calling last week's outbreak in Alabama bust, even, you know, even though, there was, you know, no loss of life and, you know, tremendous success for the Weather Service. So can you talk a little bit about why that's become such a trend nowadays? 
Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the weather enthusiasts and these Facebook pages. And listen, I don't want to throw water on these guys. Most of them are high school kids and they love weather and they want to learn weather and they don't mean any harm. But they'll get on Facebook and they'll say, oh, oh, look, look, look at the STP. Look at these updraft helicity tracks. This is going to be worse than April 27, 2011. This is going to be a killer mega storm of the century. And people don't know it's a 15 year old kid and they're going to share it and share it and share it and share it and share it. And it just gets out of hand. And, you know, th- I think that's part of the problem. And I don't even like that question when people ask me that. For example, we have a very high end severe weather episode likely here Thursday. It's pretty common for episodes like this in March and April. This is the core of the spring segment of the tornado season. And, and the question is, will this be like April 27, 2011? I don't even like to answer that. That's a bad question. And of course, the answer is no. Let's do a study of climatology. You know, I, I love numbers. I love looking at history. I really do think if you study history and climatology, it's a valid way of looking at what might happen in the future. And where we are down here, uh, our generational events prior to 2011, what's the one before that? You guys were not even alive when the other one happened. April 3rd and 4th, 1974. Okay. I was a senior in high school. That changed my life. That's a topic for another show. But prior to that, it was March 21st, 1932. Prior to that, it was February, what, 19th of 1884, the Enigma outbreak. So they happen every 40 years. And and that's a generational, really a definition of generational type storm to me. So the next time we have a day like April 27th, 2011, I will be at the cemetery. But, you know, so what? I mean, we had 25 tornadoes the other day. That's a big deal. And we didn't have all these, you know, strong, violent tornadoes. It didn't produce that. And and, in a way, maybe you can. That's part of the criteria that I think was not met. But other than that, that was a big deal that day. And, you know, we got to quit getting hung up in these comparisons and all this hype and everything. I mean, and, and here's the other thing, too. You know, if we if we hype everything that comes along. Nobody's going to listen to us. Nobody. I mean, goodness. And, and, and what we don't even recognize is the fact that there are a lot of people that are scared to death of this thing. There are people right now that are scared to death of what's going to happen Thursday because of something that's happened in their life. They've had a close encounter with a tornado, hurricane, severe thunderstorm, flood. Something's happened and it triggers this PTSD or, or some reaction and they have a real phobia. And goodness, if I go on and say, You know, the odds somebody chewed me out last week because I said the odds of your house being hit on one of the biggest severe weather days in history, like April 27, 2011, are tiny, tiny. Most everybody in Alabama was not affected April 27, 2011. And some guy just reamed me out. He said most of the state was affected. No, you know, you're lying. So we've got to do something to calm these folks down and give them some comfort level and quit hyping everything up and do it in a calm way. And we'll get through it together. We'll be okay. So I don't like these comps every time we have a moderate risk or a high risk. And immediately it's going to be another April 27th. Every event is different. And again, the next time we have a day like that, I know be 2038, 2048, 2050, you guys will still be doing this show here, but I won't be around. Hey James, quick question here. Um, you, you bring up the risk. Have we overcomplicated that, the SPC? Well, the, come on. You, you, you guys, I'm sure you guys have talked about it like we have. The, the, the category names just are horrible. 
yeah, we know it's get, trust me. I'll go down to the target down here in Alabaster and, and say, what's the highest level risk? Is it moderate or enhanced? Everybody says enhanced. Everybody says enhanced is a higher level risk than a moderate where in reality it's flipped and you know, it's just not working. I mean, it works for people in the weather business. And when you talk with people in the weather service, they say, well, all the emergency managers have been used to those names and those criteria and they're used to it. Well, so what are we here just to serve emergency managers or people that work for the weather service or broadcast meteorologists? We don't know. And so I I really think we have to revisit that. And, and, And some TV meteorologists just don't even use it. Uh, some good friends of mine don't use their words. They have different colors and different names. And I'm not so sure I'm a big fan of that because consistency is important to me. If one guy says one thing and some guy says something else and who, who knows who you believe, I think we should be messaging the same thing. But I think we have to work together to fix that. And I, I need we need to bring in some of the SPC guys and have a long talk. And really, it's way up. Rich, you know, Rich Thompson, John Hart. These are my heroes. They got nothing to do with this. It's up there at NOAA headquarters where this kind of stuff is made. But the five levels don't bother me. And I mostly use numbers now. That's what I use. You know, one out of five, two out of five, three out of five. Uh, I'm kind of getting away from even using those words because it's just it's just not working. Thank you, James. Uh, we appreciate your time tonight. Go follow James on social media. I'm sure you probably already are if you're watching our show. And uh, just great to get around and, and hang out with James. And I promise you, we'll, we'll have him back. We've got a whole list of questions we didn't even get to tonight. So stick around. We'll, we'll make sure that James uh, repays us another visit here real soon. So for the rest of everyone here on the panel, we uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And we will see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group.